Good morning. My name is Diana Mayhew. Please follow me in the reading of God's Word from Joshua chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Joshua chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years when the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and very much of the land remains to be possessed. This is the land that remains, all the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Gushurites. From the Shihor, which is east of Egypt, even as far as the border of Ekron to the north. If it is counted as Canaanite, it is counted as Canaanite. The five lords of the Philistines, the Gazarite, the Ashdodites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittite, the Ekronite, and the Avite to the south, all the land of the Canaanite, and the Mira that belongs to the Sidonians, as far as Avec, to the border of the Amorite, and the land of the Gibbalite, and all of Lebanon toward the east, from Baal Gad, below Mount Hermon, as far as Lebo Hamath. Verse 6. All the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon as far as Mishrafoth, Maim, all the Sidonians, I will drive them out from before the sons of Israel, only allotted to Israel for an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now, therefore, apportion this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. God bless the reading of his word. I am privileged to introduce Tim Borer, who's going to... Um, uh, lead in the uh, teaching of God's Word this morning. And uh, Tim and Molly, uh, we've known them for um, a little over two years now. Uh, it's been a, a privilege to partner with them. They're um, appointees um, to go into uh, full-time missionary service. And um, like so many things in our life, um, the COVID um, hit a pause button in their journey. Um, and But God is at work in their lives. And uh, as Dave mentioned, they've been um, working in a camp actually more than a week for the last three weeks. Um, and uh, so they come to us uh, fresh off of that experience. And um, we'll have a number of opportunities to get together with them this week. But um, anyway, I invite Tim up. Uh, to come and share God's word with us this morning. Um, he uh, helped us out a couple times already via um, tape messages, and today we have the privilege of having him here in person. So, Tim, God bless you. I'll tell you what, you guys look a whole lot better than my recording equipment. I like looking at you guys better than that stuff. I have like a monitor that shows me what my camera is seeing. It's just my face. So I feel bad for you guys, because you still have to look at my face, but I feel like I'm winning, because now I get to see all of your faces. So uh, go ahead, if you're not still there, kind of where your finger is, Joshua chapter 13. I'm sorry, Diana. <laughs> there were so many words in that, <laughs> and not words like the or and or anything like that, but words like <laughs> Misrafoth Maim. <laughs> so, but you did a great job. Thank you. You actually helped me in a way, so I think 
God already has blessed the reading, your reading of the word, because you changed the tone that I was using, and um, it changes, it changes the meaning, I think, in a way, and so thank you for that. Um, Joshua chapter 13, we're going to start where you usually start, verse 1, so we're going to go ahead and start first seven verses, and we're going (coughs) to, so, sorry, I'll do that occasionally, I'll try not to do that frequently, but... um, Pollen from trees and dust from ground make a wicked cocktail for allergies. So, uh, still coming out of that. But we're going to go a little bit by little by little, and as we go, I'll pull some things out for us to look at. And um, in your bulletin, you do have this handy map. Uh, so that's going to be very nice. It doesn't have everything we're going to look at, but you, it'll give you the rough understanding of it. If you have your Bible, in the backs, normally you'll see the, the map of the 12 tribes, And so that will help you as well as we read all these names. And I'll kind of point it out for you as we go. When you know where the things are, it's significantly less confusing and it's significantly more interesting to read this bit because now you're, instead of just seeing words and words, now you're seeing places and that kind of stuff is very helpful. But in verse 1, we we open with this. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. So when I was first reading this, um, I was reading it with this tone. And the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years. So the way Diana read that immediately fixed it, and it made it more of a loving tone than uh, just a fact, you know? So you can, you can tell how I normally communicate with people and how God is still working on me in that. But uh, you, are old, you are old and advanced in years, and yet there remains very much land to possess, so we see from the very outset, God is communicating something very clearly to Joshua. Uh, he acknowledges his age. You are old. You've, you have lived a long life of service to me. Yet, there's still more to be done. He says, yet there's still much land to possess. He says, this is the land that remains. All the regions of the Philistines and all of those of the Geshurites. So he's not saying some of this land some of that land, you've done a lot, but here's a little bit more to do. He's saying all of this land, all of that land. So from Shihor, which is east of Egypt, um, northward to the boundary of Ekron, and that's counted as Canaanite. So if you have your, your handy-dandy map, you'll see, or up even on the, the slide. So from Shihor, which is just north of Egypt, so if you put your thumb just lightly on the bottom left corner of that, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron, which is counted as Canaanite, you'll see, I believe on this map, you'll see like in light print, you'll see where it will say like Philistines and Canaanite, all that kind of stuff. Sidonians up in the far, far north, we'll get there. Uh, Now these are the five rulers of the Philistines. Those of Gaza, uh, Canaanite, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gatha, Ekron, and those of the Avim in the south, all the land of the Canaanites, and Mira that belongs to the Sidonians. So if you look all the way up to the top of your map, you'll see Sidonians, which we would nowadays maybe even call Phoenicians. So you'll see that. So that's a, if you look at your map, that's a healthy swath of land, right? That's a big chunk. Everything in the south pretty much, all the way up to the north. To Aphek, to the boundary of the Amorites, the land of the Gebelites, all of Lebanon. So you see that toward the sunrise, 
So toward the east. So from Lebanon over from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon to Lebo Hamath. So you can actually see, you'll see Mount Hermon's not on the map, but if you see where the Jordan River starts, you'll see the rough area in Lebanon all the way down from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon to Lebo Hamath. All the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Misrephoth, Mayim. These are huge chunks of property. These are, this is a lot of landscape. This is crazy topography. This is not a portion of this people, a portion of that people, a small minority of this people, just a little bit left here. We're looking at a huge, a huge chunk as we're halfway through Joshua now, left of the work to do. And we're looking at an aged Joshua. And, and God is telling him, yeah, you, you are old, but I still have so much more for you. I still ask so much more from you. And the first point is that clearly communicated to Joshua and clearly communicating to us in our day and age, there is no retirement from serving our Lord, right? You can retire from your vocation, but if you've got a pulse, you've got a purpose from God. So God is looking at Joshua here, and he's saying, yeah, you've done a lot. You've, you've led for a long time. You've made huge impacts. You've changed the people, but I still am asking more from you. You've, you've, you hear as Grace Point, you've, you've seen the ripple of the love of God through your congregation. You've seen how afraid it has been changed in the years that Grace Point has been here. But guess what? You all look like you still have a pulse. You know, so, so we're re, but we're not tired, right? So God still has a purpose for you. No matter how long you've been here, no matter how long the church has been here, God is still God, and he still has a purpose for these people. So we see here that Joshua, yes, he's, he's older. He's got more years behind him maybe than in front of him. And yet God still says, I have a lot in store for you. I have a lot to ask. But don't be discouraged We've seen all the land, all the fighting, all the stuff that's going to have to happen. But then in verse 6, God makes this beautiful promise. And he makes this promise to his people. All the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Misrephoth, Maim, even all the Sidonians. You've got, a ton of, you've got a grip of work you have left to do here. And yet God says, I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. So don't be discouraged. The, method and, the mission and method haven't changed. God still goes before you. He says, I'm still going before you. I'm still doing the work. I'm asking you to walk in obedience behind me. I'm clearing the path. I'm putting these good works in front of you to do. I'm creating you into an image. I've got a plan for you. Just walk with me. Just walk behind me as I clear this out. I myself, there's no other name greater than the name of God that he could, he could tell you by. And, and the way this breaks out is he's leaving no room for questioning. He's not saying, hey, guys, I'll drive him out in front of you. He's not saying, hey, I by you will drive them out. He said, I myself will drive them out in front of you. I will do the work. I'm asking you to walk in obedience with me and behind me in this. So don't be discouraged. No matter how old you are, no matter how long you've walked with God, yes, God still has a ton left for you to do. Yes, still God, has, God still has a huge purpose for you, but God still has the plan. The mission is the same and the method is the same. He goes before us in this work. So only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance, as I've commanded you. Verse 7. This sets the whole context for what we're looking at today. Now, therefore, because 
you have so much left to do. Because you have a great work left. Because of your age and how long you've been here. Because I'm going before you. Let's allot this land. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. So the context for what we're looking at right now, what we're going to move into for the rest of our sermon, our time together, the context is a context of victory. God is saying, guys, I'm going to do this work. I'm going to drive them out. I'm going to set, give you this land as your inheritance. So as we start to break up this land, we remember the reason we're setting all this aside is it because we're a bunch of war-torn generals in a tent somewhere moving things around on a board with long sticks trying to plan our next battle so that we could take more land? The reason we're dividing all of this land out is because we realize that God is a good and gracious God who gives mercifully to his people. And he fights the battles on our behalf. And he wins victories that we could never win. And we have an inheritance that we could never earn because of his grace. So as we look at all of these properties, all of these towns, all of these names and kings, we remember that we're looking at this because we're looking in victory to what God is going to do. So starting in verse 8, this is, this is where it gets really fun, right? We're going to start with the tribe of Manasseh. Normally I go verse by verse, thought by thought. Today I'm going to do it a little differently. We're going to look at the different chunks of people, so Manasseh, Reuben, and Gad, the Levites. So we're going, to, we're going to walk through person by person, tribe by tribe. As we do this. So this is actually the whole inheritance in verses 8 through 13 of east of the Jordan. So with the other half of the tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses gave them beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses the servant of the Lord gave them. From Aror, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, and the city that's in the middle of the valley, in all the tableland of Medeba as far as Dibam. So if you're looking at your map, you'll see down here at the bottom, if you look east of the bottom sea, you'll see the word Reuben in your map. The black line at the bottom that's, that's denoting the border. If you look closely, in light blue, it'll say Arnon River. So the Arnon River has cut a valley, and in, the, in that valley is the biggest city of Aurora, which is the, the major city of this, this land. So you're looking at the very bottom so that's what we're looking at first. Aurora, it's on the edge of the valley cut by the Arnon River. And the city that's in the middle of the valley. And all the table land of Mediba as far as Diamond. So if you slide your finger up about a centimeter, you see Mediba. So we're almost up to the top of Reuben now. All the cities of Sion, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, and as far as the boundary of the Ammonites, so if you, if you slide up a little bit, you'll see off to the right here, you'll see the Jabbok River kind of cuts through the middle of the area. You'll see the Ammonites over here. And Gilead and the region of the Geshrites and Malkathites, all of Mount Hermon, all of Bashan to Selakah, and all the kingdom of Og and Bashan who reigned in Ashtaroth and in Edre. He alone was left of the ribbon of the Rephaim. Now, these Moses had struck and driven out so we're looking at this whole swath of land now, east of the Jordan, talking about how Moses had driven these people out. So Manasseh has their inheritance. Starting in uh, verse 29, so we're going to jump over and we're going to look at this. And Moses gave an inheritance to the half-tribe of Manasseh. It was allotted to the half-tribe of the people of Manasseh according to their clans. Their region extended from Mahanaim. Sorry, I'm trying to swallow. <laughs> Through all of Bashan, the whole kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, and all the towns of Jair, which are in Bashan. Sixty cities. 
and half of Gilead and Ashtaroth. Now, if you're looking in here, you can see, you'll see Ashtaroth. It's a city just above the Middle River. But then you'll also see Bashan. It's in light print. Bashan is not a city, right? This is a, this is a territory of Bashan. So this is how the map is working. So that whole upper quadrant that you're seeing, the whole upper part, that's a whole section. All these different cities, these 60 cities, half of Gilead, uh, Ashtaroth, which is, uh, I think you can see it. If you see the, if you, if you, I'm giving you all these cities. This is all going to make sense in a minute. You see the word Manasseh just below that. You'll see the big city of Ashtaroth and Edre. So you see Edre is down in the south. The cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan. These were allotted to the people of Mekir, the son of Manasseh, for the half of the people of Mekir, according to their clans. So you see this giant swath of land. And in the context of what we're looking at, we're looking at this, uh, I'm calling it like the landscape of lordship. Right? We're seeing now this survey of God's sovereignty over his people as he's setting this land aside. And as we go back to these verses that we were just reading through 13, we're seeing that this whole area is cleaned out. This whole area is being uh, set aside. <laughs> but then we see this stinging indictment in verse 13. So Manasseh has this huge grip of people, this huge bit of land for half of the tribe because they've aligned themselves with Gad and Reuben that we'll see. And it says this, talking about all this land that's been set aside. Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Maacathites, but Geshur and Maacath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. So we're seeing all of this, this land that's being set aside, all of these people who've been pushed out, all of this, this stuff, that, this work that's been done, and yet we see this little, this little bit that's left in it. This is like the equivalent when you're reading through Kings or you're reading through the histories and say, yet he did not take down the Asherah poles or he did not destroy all the temples of, of the enemies. What we see here is this seemingly aside, like, hey, they got all this land. They pushed out all these people. They did all these victories. But there were a couple who, who they left. And, and you think, like, oh, that's negligible. It's not a difference maker. There, there shouldn't, why do we even bother mentioning this? But I want to bring you back to the book of Numbers. This is important. In the 33rd chapter of the book of Numbers, everybody's favorite book, right? If I ask you what your favorite book is, you're all probably going to say Numbers or Leviticus, right? Like those, are the, those two books are absolute wonderment. Like I love it. They're so heavenly. Yeah? No. Okay. So anyway, there's a lot of, there's a lot of richness in this. And as you read stories like Joshua, <laughs> if you do it carefully enough, like, like how Grace Point is doing this, you're going to realize that other books that we tend to skip over actually have a lot of wealth in them. There's a lot of gold to be mined there. But the gold is only as good as the people mining it. So as you walk through with, with, with your elders and the people who are coming to speak to you, hopefully I can get up to that level and I'm mining stuff out of this book for you so that you see the wealth of even books like Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. But in Numbers 33, we see this huge warning. The Lord speaks to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. And he's saying, hey, speak to the people. Tell them about what's going to happen. And this is in the, the end. We're starting in verse 50. Speak to the people of Israel. Tell them, would you pass over the Jordan and the land of Canaan? So he's been warning them about this for a long time. Drive out all the inhabitants. Destroy all their figured stones. Destroy all their metal images. And demolish all their high places. Do you know what the word for, that we translate as all in Hebrew translates to literally to English? All. 
Yeah, so we're not making exceptions. Everything needs to be driven out. Everything needs to be destroyed. Everything needs to be gotten rid of. Well, why? Verse 55. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then those of them whom you let remain, catch this, shall be as barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. And they shall trouble you in the land where you dwell. And they'll pull you aside. They'll distract you from the, the goal. They'll infiltrate and mutate the DNA of you as a people. They'll become as a cancer in your body, aggressive. And eventually God says, I will do to you as I thought to do to them. You will become so much like the nations, you'll be unrecognizable. You will no longer be my people because you will rebel against me. You will refuse me. You will turn away from me. It's so important that we do not allow things to infiltrate our worship, to infiltrate our relationship to God. God warns us over and over and over. In Colossians, he tells us as believers, put to death, therefore. If you've been resurrected with Christ, if you've truly been raised with him, you set your mind on the things above where he is, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is your life. And because of that, you put to death that stuff which is inside of you that's fleshly, that earthly, that distracts you. You untangle yourself. You take off those old clothes that don't fit and just hold you back. You get rid of all that stuff that hinders you from a, a beautiful, wholehearted relationship and obedience to God. Because if you don't, it's gonna come back and it's gonna get you. And if you're wondering about the Geshurites or the Malachites, it comes back and it gets Israel. King David himself. David winds up marrying a Geshurite princess, you see in 2 Samuel chapter 3. I think it's verse 3. It talks about how that princess then gives him his son Absalom. And Absalom is uh, quite the wicked dude, if, if I could use my Southern California slang. Um, and not wicked isn't a good thing. Like, he's a horrible human being. <laughs> and um, we have this whole story in 2 Samuel 13 where something, something horrible is done by David's son to Absalom's daughter. And instead of leading into God and going to the king about this, Absalom plots his own revenge, which then he, because he plots his own revenge and he does his own thing, then he flees and then he tries to overthrow the kingdom of David. And it all stems back to this verse here in 13 of chapter 13. Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Malachites. And because they didn't, David's eye wanders to somebody who's not of Israel. He marries somebody who then mutates his worship, mutates his family. And from this mutation, you get somebody by the name of Absalom who then starts to destroy the kingdom of Israel and Judah, starts to tear apart the unity that God wants so desperately from his people, starts to sully the name of David, starts to undermine his leadership in the kingdom. And eventually, Joab has to handle the business that David can't handle because David is married to his mother and loves his son. And this should have never happened because if they had just driven out the Geshurites, none of that stress, tension, war, and death would have ever occurred in the kingdom of Israel. And in case you're thinking the Machathites are just thrown in, something else happens with them. In 2 Samuel chapter 20, you see that <laughs> one of David's sons, Sheba, rebels against David. And he flees and he hides in a Machathite city. Now thank God, by his grace, there's a woman in the city who doesn't like the whole siege tactic as they build a mound and they start lobbing stuff in and she negotiates the giving over of Sheba. 
But if the Maacathite city hadn't been there in the first place, if they had driven them out, this whole battle, this whole war, all that death, all that tension, all that undermining, and all that disunity would have never had to have occurred if they would have just obeyed what God had called them to do instead of bargaining their way out of it. Which brings me to the second point here, that uh, we're called to complete obedience to God. And obedience is not a bargain with God. We don't come to our salvation uh, with Jesus or God the Father. We don't say, hey, you know, I want to treat this like a yard sale. I know you want all of me. I know you want my whole life. I know you want wholehearted obedience. Israel can't come to Yahweh and say, hey, look, I know you want us to do all this and follow in obedience to you and just do a little, and, and, and like clear out the whole land, but I want to bargain with you. I want to, let's see if we can negotiate terms. You know, I think I have a position of power here that if I give a little and you give a little, maybe we can meet in the middle. We both, it's a win-win situation. Obedience is not a bargain. God is sitting in the ultimate position of power. And if I've learned one thing from any of my friends who are businessmen, you never negotiate from a position of power. And you know what God does? He makes a way for you. And it involves his own son. So God who never has to negotiate from a position of power, who's perfectly holy, who's perfectly just to send us to an eternity from, in hell, he loves us so deeply that he gives his only son so that if we would believe in him and we would confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that he is Lord, he's risen from the dead, we can have a right relationship with him and we can live in eternity with him. And then we think like, hey, God, can we bargain what obedience looks like? He gave his son. God came and rescued the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of backbreaking slavery. He set them aside. He says, guys, I didn't set you aside because you're cool. I set you aside because I love you. I'm going to make you into something. So we see here, Israel bargains in their obedience. And God doesn't call us to bargain in obedience. He calls us to a wholehearted obedience for his glory and for our good, as you see here. And this isn't just so that God is made known and put on display and people think, oh, God is so cool. Look at that. Wholehearted obedience. Man, God is great. It's for their good. Because they didn't obey, the kingdom gets torn to pieces. Because they didn't drive these people out, but they bargained in their obedience. And it may not impact you. It may not impact you, your sin, or your bargaining today, but it's going to impact your generations. God calls us to wholehearted obedience. And we see that here in this, in, in this inheritance as we see that. So we've seen the tribe of Manasseh. We've seen the land that they've inherited. We've seen also in, in this, this swath of land, east of the Jordan, that there was bargaining. There was some negotiation that should have never happened. There were some allowances that God didn't want. And we see that it really impacts, impacts the people of Israel. I want to skip over verse 14 just for a second because I think we're, I want to come back to that later. Let's look at verses 15 through 28. So Moses gave an inheritance to the tribe of the people of Reuben. So now we're, we're jumping from the tribe of Manasseh up at the top. Now we're jumping all the way down to the tribe of Reuben at the bottom, <laughs> according to their clans. So their territory was from Aror, which is on the val- edge of the valley. We've seen that on and on. And the city that's in the middle of the valley. And all the tableland by Medeba with Heshbon and all of its cities that are in the tableland. Dibon, or Dibon, with Bamoth Baal and Beth Baal Meon and Jehaz and Kedemoth and Miphath and Kiriathim. All these cities, Simba, Zerathar, Beth Peor, see now I have to read them all too, so I think we're even. Uh, and the slopes of Pisgah, Beth Jeshemoth, that's all the cities of the tableland. Okay, so you've got tableland kind of in the middle of the, of the area, and all of these cities are covered in the tableland. All the kingdom of Sion, king of the Amorites, 
<coughs> who raided Heshbon. So you see Heshbon up at the top of the, of the property or of the, the inheritance of Reuben. Reuben Heshbon. Moses defeated with the leaders of Midian, Evi and Rechem and Zur and Hur and Reba, not to be confused with Reba McIntyre. She is not in this. The princes of Sion who lived in the land. This is an interesting aside, verse 22. Balaam also, the son of Beor, the one who practiced divination. Uh, if you're curious about him, I believe it's Numbers 22, talks about him and then his oracles in 23. This is somebody who is summoned by Balak to uh, pronounce oracles over Israel to curse them, and God wouldn't let him. <laughs> so every time he tries to, to utter an oracle against Israel, he winds up uh, blessing Israel. <laughs> it's a great, it's a wonderful story. Uh, and then, but then, of course, he, got, he does say, like, but they are human, so send out prostitutes and you'll probably get them. And, of course, Balak does it. They do. But God, God works through that. And you always just kind of wonder, like, if you just read that story in isolation, like, whatever happened to that guy? Balaam, he just, like, appears and then he's gone. Well, Balaam also, son of Beor, the one who practiced divination, yeah, he was killed with the sword by the people of Israel among the rest of their slain. So even he doesn't escape this. So even somebody who tries to curse winds up by God's grace accidentally not able to do anything other than blessing Israel, even he, in all of this, winds up being slain. And the border of the people of Reuben was the Jordan as a boundary. So that's the inheritance of the people of Reuben, according to their clans, with their cities and villages. So we see this interesting, that's Reuben. I also want to talk about Gad a little bit, just in this. Moses gave an inheritance to them too, and their territory is everything, I'll sum it up for you, everything between Reuben and Manasseh, that's Gad, okay? From those cities, from the bottom, all the way up, uh, that's where Gad is. There's an interesting story about the Reubenites and the Gadites and the Manassans uh, in Numbers chapter 32. So again, we're going back to this really interesting book, I'm telling you. Book of Numbers is a fantastic book. In Numbers 32, we see this really interesting exchange between the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, and Moses. In verses 1 through 5, they come to Moses and they say, hey, uh, you know, if we found favor in your sight, this land here on this side of the Jordan is much more suitable for what we do as opposed to the land on the other side. So if we found favor in your sight, we'd really appreciate it. Let this land be given to us as a possession. We want this land. Uh, don't take us across the Jordan. We, we want this land. And uh, Moses is somebody who's a humble dude, but when it comes to like, crossing God, he'll, he'll tell you to you straight. And so then in verses 6 through 15, Moses just lights them up. He, he gives it to them. Shall your brothers go to war while you sit here? Why will you discourage the heart of the people of Israel from going over into the land that the Lord has given them? Your fathers did this when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up, and he gives this whole thing, and, and in verse 10, the Lord's anger was kindled on that day, and he swore, saying, surely none of the men who came up out of Egypt for 20 years old and upward shall see the land. None except Caleb, and he's, the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel. He made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until all the generation that had done evil was gone. And behold, you've risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will again abandon them in the wilderness, and you'll destroy all this people. So Moses, Moses just lights into them in a good way. Who do you think you are? Did you, do you not know the story of, the, of your parents? 
Did you miss the whole reason that happened, and yet here you are now doing the same thing? Have you thought about your brothers and sisters with whom you've wandered in the wilderness and what they've gone through? They've gone through all the same loss you've gone through. They've gone through all the same walking you've gone through. They've gone through all of the same process, and now you're just going to rise up from the same place and do the same exact thing? Who do you think you are? Have you thought about this? So, of course, after that, you know, they, they need some time to think, maybe. And then in verses 16 through 32 of Numbers 32, they commit to the fight. <laughs> like, uh, when you put it that way, yeah, you know what? Uh, we're just going to build stuff here. We'll leave our kids here. But in verse 18, we will not return to our homes until each of the people of Israel has gained his inheritance. They commit to the fight. Sometimes shooting straight with people works. <laughs> especially when the Spirit of the Lord's in it. So in verse 18, we're not going to return. We're going to go, and we're going to fight until all of our brothers and sisters have their, their inheritance. And then in verse 32, we will pass over armed before the Lord into the land of Canaan, and the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us beyond the Jordan. So we still want the land. If we could have that, we'd like that. But you're right. We belong here. These are our people. These are our brothers. We're going to go fight for them. So Moses says to them in verse 33, to the people of Gad and the people of Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the kingdom of Sion, king of the Amorites, and the blah, 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 all this stuff. The land and its cities with their territories. The cities of the land throughout the country. So he gives this land to them. He says, okay, if you're, if you're going to stick in the fight, this could be your inheritance. But this is an important reminder to us, especially from Numbers, the way Moses handles that. Never settle in obedience. Never settle in obedience. You see, God wants more for you. God wants more from you than you could ever imagine. And Moses makes a great point to these tribes and these leaders. You can't think about yourself in an individual situation. You are a part of a community of people of God. You belong to the community. You, don't, you can't think of yourself as an individual, just you, 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 me, 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 me. We belong to the community. He saved me so that I can become we. We are a community of believers dedicated to wholehearted obedience to God. So don't neglect the reality of community and your obedience to God. Because you've got to realize that your settling discourages people. And that's exactly what Moses is telling the Reubenites and the Gadites, and the, this half-tribe of Manasseh. He's saying, guys, when you settle, when you're striving together with other people and they see you settle... That's not encouraging, that's discouraging. When we, who, like who, who have you ever heard when you're, when you're quoting the Bible say, let us consider how to stir each other up to good works in the name of our Father. And you think, how can I stir somebody up to good works? I know, I'm gonna settle for less. Like nobody ever, hopefully, <laughs> nobody ever thinks of that, right? Let us consider how to outserve one another. We wanna outdo each other in doing good. So don't neglect this reality of community that your settling discourages, but your striving inspires. Especially as a 32-year-old, black rim glasses, stereotypical Southern Californian millennial to the older generation in this Grace Point community, your striving inspires. When I get tired and I look to you guys and I see you continually working, I see you continually with your nose to the grindstone, loving Jesus, loving people, loving your community, and sacrificing your own pleasures and comforts so that this community knows that you and Jesus love them, 
That's inspiring to people my age. And it encourages me to keep on pressing. Your striving inspires people. It's an encouragement, and it makes me want to keep going. It, makes, it gives me the encouragement I need to continue striving. So we see all of this. We see all of the, the land, all of the inheritance that's been given. And I want, to, I want us to turn our focus here, and this will be the last uh, focus, <coughs> is on the Levites. You'll notice I left them out uh, for, for good purpose, hopefully. I, I really do believe that. In verse 14, you'll see I'm not the only one who left them out of something. To the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance, as he said to him. So the Levites get no land for an inheritance. But this makes sense. Because I want us to read, again, in the book of Numbers. Y'all are going to go home and do your devotions for the next year out of this book, I'm sure. <laughs> are you laughing because it's true, Dave? <laughs> so, in the book of Numbers, we start to see in verse 47, this is the whole census of Israel's warriors as, as we're preparing to go into the land. <laughs> as Moses is taking these down. The Levites were not listed along with them by their ancestral tribe and the warriors. For the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, this is verse 49 of chapter 1 of Numbers, only the tribe of Levi you shall not list, and you shall not take a census of them among the people of Israel. But appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, and over all its furnishings, and over all that belongs to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings, and they shall take care of it, and shall camp around the tabernacle. When the tabernacle is set out, the Levites shall take it down. When the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. And if any outsider comes there, he shall be put to death. So we see this. The people of Israel, they pitch their tents by their companies, but the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle. Thus did the people of Israel, they did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So we see that the Levites were, uh, they're exempted from battle for the land, so they're excluded from inheritance of the land. But I want us to understand this is why. The Levites' concern was never land. The Levites' concern was always the Lord. You see, for the people of Israel, and you see this, the focus became the land. But the land is not their reward. The Lord is their reward. The land is their inheritance. The focus on the, on, the, on the land should only be so much as to give each person their inheritance on their land so that they can better as a people, more organizedly, by their clans and their tribes, come to Yahweh and worship him in truth, with mercy and justice at the center of their hearts. The land is not the reward. The Lord is the reward. And I see this today, too, in, in believers in the Christian church and stuff. We often get asked especially in this last few weeks, I was, I was often asked, what do I have to do to get to heaven? What must I do to get to heaven? And I had to slowly and lovingly say, change your focus, because heaven is not the reward. And this is the final point. God is the reward. Jesus is the reward. Heaven is heavenly, 
Because you're with Jesus in an unfiltered, unhindered way. So God is the reward. It's for the people of Israel, the way the Levites really truly understood this and were able to communicate this, the Levites didn't need land. They had an unhindered, unfiltered, deepest relationship with God. And as we see, of course, because people are people and people are broken, the relationship with God gets hindered and filtered and askew. But ultimately, the, the focus for the Levites, those in the priestly care of the presence of the Lord, is the Lord himself. So as we as believers move on through our day, our week, and the rest of our life, however much God has given us to do whatever else God has called us to, which I'm sure is far more than any of us would ever think or even think to even imagine, until we fully, wholeheartedly realize and surrender to God, understanding that he is our reward, we will always settle, we will always bargain, and we will always burn out. God himself drives the people out before Israel, and he calls them to walk in obedience. God is a God of victory, and he calls us to walk in wholehearted, unbargaining, non-settling obedience to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are a God who not simply, you don't simply call us to overwhelming obedience, but you give us your spirit and the way to obey wholeheartedly. <laughs> and that you make a way for us that when we were even your enemies, you, Jesus died for us. You sent your only begotten son for us. And Father, that you call us no matter who we are, you don't call us because we're great. You call us because your mercy is great, because your grace is, and your ri are, are, are riches immeasurable. Your love is unfathomable, Lord. We can never understand the whole depth of it. And so, Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you call us to yourself, and we thank you that you love us so much that you don't leave us as we are, but you remake us into the image of your Son. So, Father, would you, by your Spirit, give us the strength and the focus Lord, to no matter our age, realize the greatness you've called us to and to pursue it with a wholehearted obedience that people would see our lives and give glory and focus to you. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Our closing words come out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 26. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We just partook of the cup, proclaiming his death until he comes. O Lord Jesus, come soon. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Well, you can shake hands on the way out. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. Thank you for worshiping with us today. May God be glorified in our midst.